Please be seated. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, you created us to be your witnesses, to bring you glory, to share the good news about Jesus in a world that's hungry for hope. Lord, help us to be witnesses and to bear witness to you and your truth. Show us how to share our faith and the love of Christ. Empower that witness by your Holy Spirit so that we may be effective witnesses for you. And may you be glorified in our lives always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we started a new series called Finding My Fit. And it's, uh, it's human nature, I think, to ask that question. Where do I fit? Where do I fit in? How do I plug in? Where do I connect? And uh, so we're hoping to discover that answer to that question as we put together a series of, of five series, uh, five sermons this, uh, over the next month. And uh, we're going to journey together a little bit. And as we travel along the road, I hope that we get the answer to that for ourselves and also for the church as God calls us together. Uh, we're looking at some of the basics. We're recognizing how and why God connected us, uh, created us. Who is that man? <laughs> and essentially, we're going to try to summarize this by using the five different categories that we have on our wall over here, the five basic reasons that we have for existing. Everything that God commands you or calls you to do is related to one of these five areas. And virtually everything that you're going to do in your life is also related to one of these five things. Now, you might call them purposes, as we do around here, or you might call them reasons for living. But there are five areas for which God created you. Uh, these five areas are worship, which, what is worship? Well, worship is Bringing glory to God is one of the great things. He, he created you for worship, to bring glory to him. And outreach, well, what is outreach? Outreach is being a witness for Jesus. It's going beyond yourself. It's reaching out to other people. It's being the reflection of God for other people, being Jesus for other people in a sense. And uh, what is discipleship? Well, God created you to learn and to grow. And he also created you to help others learn and grow. That's discipleship. Um, community, what's that all about? Well, community is about not being alone. You ever feel lonely? You ever feel by yourself? You ever feel like you're the only one going through something? Community is that place where we find the love and the support and the encouragement of other people. And it's a place where God takes individual people who have received Jesus, who have, who have a heart for Christ, and joins them together. You know, our, our first slide this morning had a picture of a puzzle. We're all one of those pieces in that puzzle. And when we come together, we form a beautiful picture of Jesus. That's what community is all about. And then the last thing here is ministry. Ministry is taking all those gifts that God gave you and empowering them to use them to bring glory to him, and to minister to other people in this world around us. 
You know, often uh, we stumble through life looking for a way to fulfill these five areas. You know, we're, 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 well, we often get it wrong, don't we? We often get it wrong. We, you know, we try to figure out what to, how to, we stuff things in there trying to fulfill that worship need. And we stuff things in there trying to, to fill that, that need to reach out and, and touch other people around us, even though God created us that way. And we stumble you know, we stumble through so many areas trying to stick things in to fill needs that God created on us and hardwired into us. Um, Blaise Pascal said that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator. That doesn't stop us from trying to fill it with everything else, right? We go on and on doing that. There was a movement that was very popular when I was in high school. I think it probably is still around. You know, we would look at Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, you know, we this pyramid, and at the bottom is our basic, you know, we have the need for food and shelter and things like that, and we climb up. And, and none of it is wrong until it gets to the top. And at the top of that pyramid is not God, but self what they call self-actualization, actually. But, but the human potential movement, what they got wrong was they put man at the top of the pyramid. They put us at the top of the pyramid. But God didn't create us that way. God created us with himself at the top of that pyramid. That's where our focus in life is supposed to be. And it's God himself who's going to fill that vacuum I just talked about. Last week, we talked about how God created us for worship. You know, every single person in the world is hardwired to worship. And anthropologists confirm that as they go out and do studies. They find that, that, that they found very few societies where they couldn't identify some kind of religion. There is a, a, a need inside of us to worship that God put us there. And, you know, if we don't worship God, we end up worshiping something else, Right? We end up worshiping somebody else sometimes. Uh, for example, a materialist is somebody who worships things. Now, they wouldn't say it that way, but their greatest goal in life is to acquire things. But you and I know the problem with that. We've all, I'm sure, experienced it itself. Uh, you ever get a brand new phone? You know, you get the phone and you look at it and it's really great in the first three or four days and about a week later, it's just a phone. And you gotta have the next thing. And then the next thing. And then the next thing, that's materialism. You know, the people we worship have feet of clay. We worship people sometimes. We, we objectify people. We, we put them up there on a pedestal. And sooner or later, they're going to let us down. Because they cannot be very good at being God. It's just not what they are. They're not God. God created us to worship himself, right? Today we're looking at the second of uh, these reasons that God created us. We're looking at outreach. Um, we want to be his image bearers. We want to be that person who reflects the image of God, that other people look at us and they, they see God in us. We want them to see what God is like through us. 
we're the light that Jesus shines through. Or we're kind of like the lamp, right? Uh, Ron just gave me a big old Dietz lamp, beautiful lamp. Uh, it gave it to me for the meeting house because we use all lamplight out at the meeting house. And, uh, and it's a gorgeous lamp. I love those lamps. I love an oil lamp and I love a kerosene lamp. You know, you light them and there's something about sitting around them in the dark. There's that glow. It's just, you know, that one light can fill a whole room with light. And that's what we were created to be. We were created to be that lamp with Jesus at the center and, and shining out. God made you to be his witness in the world. And, and right from the beginning, you know, God created you as a human being in his own image. We were meant to reflect him in creation, to bring glory to him through being like him. You know, Genesis 1.27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The image of God is clearly both male and female. God gave both Adam and Eve his image to bear. Think about an image. Think about, think about a statue. You know, if you create a statue of somebody... Don't you have an expectation that that statue will look like them? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Otherwise, it would be a pretty poor statue. When God created us, he created us to look like him. Now, obviously not physically. God is spirit. But in lots of other ways, we're ethical and we're moral. We have a sense of right and wrong. We are self-aware and we're rational thinkers. We're spiritual beings. Um, we're like God in so many different ways. When humans were created, we were innocent. And we reflected God's holiness and God's purity and God's goodness. But then came the fall. And with sin, the image of God was damaged. It wasn't wiped out, but it was damaged. And it was hard to see God's face in humanity. One of my favorite statues in the entire world is this one. I hope to actually see it this year in person. This is the Pietà. This is one of Michelangelo's greatest pieces. It was created in 1499. And it shows Mary seated with Jesus after his crucifixion and him draped across her lap. And there's, there's just, to me, there's just so much beautiful compassion and a sense of loss and grief and a, a mother's loss and grief in it, and it's just a beautiful thing. Well, in 1972, there was a man named Laszlo Toth who jumped over the railing and smashed the face of the statue with a hammer. I forget, I think he hit it eight or 10 times and busted off the arm and broke the nose and other parts, and you know, it took a significant amount of work to restore that statue, to bring it back to what it was originally created to be. And that's us. That's us. We were damaged in the fall. It was hard to see you know, what was originally intended in us after the fall. But, but God is in a process of restoring us. And, and it's significant what he's going to do. He needs to do significant work to restore us to the beautiful creation that he made us to be so that we can fully reflect him, so that we can be his witness. And, and that brings us to this. 
if you want to be a witness for Jesus, you have to know Jesus, right? I mean, we can't be a witness to Jesus until we belong to him. What does it mean to be a witness of something? Well, usually it means that someone has seen an event, right? Maybe it's an accident, maybe it's some kind of a crime, and, and then we're able, because we saw it, because we were there, we're able to describe that to the police or to somebody else and say, hey, this is what happened, this is what I saw. But you can't be a witness if you haven't seen, if you haven't experienced. You know, in Jesus' day, he picked 12 people, right? He picked 12 disciples. and. And he invested his life in those 12 men. He really poured himself into them. Now, he taught other people, no question about that. But he really invested in these 12 people. And they got to know Jesus very, very well because they spent time with him. And they heard what he taught. And they saw what he did. And they witnessed his miracles. And they saw his crucifixion. And they were there and saw the resurrected Christ. And so because they were there and they experienced it and they saw that, they were able to witness to Jesus. They were able to say, here's what I saw. Here's what I experienced. Here's what I heard. Here's the miracle I saw. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, and, and pretty close to the end of the time that he was going to leave the disciples behind, he took them out on the mountainside and he talked to them. And, you know, there's that section we call in Matthew 28, the Great, the Great Commission, and then there's also another time that occurs very close to that same time that we find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And here's what that says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you know, they became Christ's witnesses. And they carried the light. They knew him, they saw him, they witnessed what he did, and so they became his witnesses in the world. And they not only knew Jesus, but they were changed by Jesus. They were transformed by Jesus. And so they wrote about him, and they preached about him, and they talked about him, and they told others about him. And some of them died bearing witness to Jesus. The more they told about what they witnessed the more what they told got told. And as they shared with others, and others came to know Jesus themselves through an experience, through Christ entering in, they told others. And it spread through the known empire, all through the known world. And it was exponential, you know. You got two people, then four, then six. You know, it just, it just kept going and growing. The witness of Jesus spread through the entire world. Now, how do we bear witness to Jesus in our days? How do we do it? Uh, well, I hand him a copy of the four spiritual laws. Is that the way we do it? That's how we were taught. <laughs> you know? Now, that's a good tool. And, and I know that a lot of people come to Jesus through that tool. But it's only a tool. It's not the first intention of God that we hand off a brochure. The first intention of God is that we share our testimony, our witness of what we've seen, what we've seen Jesus do in other people, 
and what we've experienced Jesus doing in ourselves. And we are called to share that with other people. Now, we weren't there when Jesus walked in Judea, right? We, we just, we're not able to do that. We can't go back in time and experience that. But here and now, we're able to witness to the fact that Jesus transforms lives because he did it in us. Right? Can I get an amen? Are you experiencing a transformed life, a changed life in Jesus? If so, then you have something to share, something to give to other people. One of the things that brought me to faith in Jesus was, uh, was experiencing some of Jesus' followers and seeing what was going on in their lives. Um, you know, the family that led me to Jesus, I looked at them and I saw that there was something that was going on here that I'd never witnessed before. This was a living faith, an active faith. And I said to myself, I don't know what these people have, but I've got to have it. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> I want that in my life. Now, it took a while for me to understand what that was. But their faith was very desirable because it was real. You know, you see so many fake Christians. I mean, I'm sorry, I hate to say that, but it's, we walk around and we act like there's nothing wrong and we act like nothing touches us and we, you know, we kind of do a lot of play acting. We put on a mask but when we kind of take the mask off and we stop play acting and we just kind of get real with God and about God, we just let that flow out of us. Man, that's when people can see there's, there's Jesus in there. And I want that. I want him. And they begin to learn who that's all about. That's what our faith should be, something that people see and are drawn to because it's alive and Jesus is at the center of it. You know, we come to Jesus when we are drawn by the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture teaches us. You know, the Holy Spirit begins to draw us, maybe, probably, even before we are aware of being pulled in that direction. But he draws us to Jesus. And he focuses our attention on Jesus. That's the role that the Holy Spirit has taken on. And Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is the way. He's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to forgiveness of sin. He's the only way to eternal life. And, and, you know, all of those things we were talking about in Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth, those things that are coming, Jesus is the only way. He's the gate to that. When we believe in him, we receive him, we repent of our sins, we are forgiven. Most of the time, the Holy Spirit draws us to himself or draws us to Jesus through people. You know, I've, I've read of the rare, in fact, I've met people who've had this experience, the rare experience where they were, they were just sitting reading a Bible, they picked it up and, and God really spoke to them and they gave their heart to Christ and they were, you know, and, and, but that is the exception rather than the rule. God usually uses other people to bring people to himself, right? When did Jesus' disciples become true witnesses? Let me go back to this scripture. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. 
when the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in them, they had the power, they had the ability to do it. Well, actually, they didn't. It wasn't them. It was God. We have, as modern Christians, we have the experience that when we come to faith, we don't have to sit and wait those days until the Holy Spirit comes because the Holy Spirit dwells in you when you receive Jesus Christ. Now, there are other times where we submit more of our lives to him and he fills us and empowers us in different ways. But we have an advantage in that we have the Holy Spirit from conversion. That means we have no excuse. We have the power that the disciples had, that, that the apostles had. But you know, we don't save people, right? We don't convert people. We don't transform people. Jesus does that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your power in your witness is not your power. It's God's power. But it's revealed when you speak it, when you share your witness, when you share your faith, when you tell your story to somebody else about what Jesus has done in your life. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. And Jesus is revealed when your life is filled with Jesus. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> and an interesting thing is, it takes us back to that place of creation. In the beginning, God created us to be in his image, to reflect him. And as we come to a relationship with Jesus and we receive the Holy Spirit when we're converted uh, and, and we give our lives over to God and we surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit's ministry, wow, we are restored to what God's intention was in creation. We are reflecting now again that image that was damaged during the fall. And people can see God. They say, oh, that person looks like a God follower. That person looks like they know Jesus. Have you ever done that? You, you, you walk up to somebody. I've done it. You do it with great hesitation, but you do it anyway sometimes. You walk up to somebody and you'll just say, are you a Christian? Like it just, it just, there's something about them. It just draws you. You know, I've had it happen in the grocery store, at the cashiers, and in all kinds of unusual places. But there's that connection. There's that spark. And you just know. Don't know how you know, except by the Holy Spirit. But all of this is wonderful, but there's a problem. There is a problem, especially that seems to be occurring right now. And it's our spoiled witness. Now, you know that our Christian witness in the world is suffering right now, right? Do you know that? You know that in the last couple of years, especially, but but not just in the last couple of years, in, in recent years. Uh, and you know all the reasons, right? You know the, the leadership sex scandals and tying our faith too closely to politics and views on racism and, and on gun violence and on weird conspiracy theories and COVID wars. And, you know, we could go on and on and on and make this long list of things that when people look at the church from the outside, they go, that doesn't belong. That's kind of hypocritical. In so many ways, our light is not shining 
as brightly in the world as it should. They see all this peripheral stuff. And people are looking through the stained glass windows of the church. What do they see inside? They aren't always seeing Jesus. In fact, often they're seeing us behaving badly. They aren't drawn to Jesus. They are pushed away from God. Many younger Christians have left church. We know this. This is a fact. And often, abandoned Christianity is the result. Abandoning Jesus, even. Now, I, I want to note, I've read a lot of studies on this, and, and it should be noted that a lot of the time, it is not God that they're rejecting. It's church. They see church sometimes as irrelevant or judgmental. They see the fights. They see the nastiness. They see the rejection. In short, it's not Jesus that they're rejecting. It's us. It's our witness. Too often, we have failed to be Christ-like. We haven't been what God created us to be. I read through a score of studies the other day, uh, the Pew Research Institute. If you ever want a, a, a great place to go and to learn about what people are thinking in society today and around a number of Christian issues, go to the Pew, the Pew Research Center online. They have a lot of great studies. One of the studies I read said that in the mid-80s, 66% of Americans had high confidence in organized religion, 66%. In 2019, that confidence level dropped to 36%. 36. I hate to think about what it's become in the last three years since that study. Do you know that 20% of Americans think that religious organizations do more harm than good? That's a lot of people. The study shows a, a general loss of respect for clergy, probably because of all the scandals that have been involved. Our witness has taken a beating recently. And in spite of that, one of the, the good news on the other side of that is at least 53% of the country believes that church and religious organizations strengthen morality in the country. And that's a good thing. An earlier study by Pew said that the group that we call the nuns, not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S, the nuns are the people who, when it says, what's your religious affiliation, they write none beside it. This group of people, there was a, a, a large study also done by Pew, and it shows that they wouldn't normally come to church on their own, but if somebody invited them, they would likely come. The vast majority of them said that. And since the majority of that group we call nuns is millennials or younger, that offers us some promise, that offers us some hope, but only if you invite them. Only if you reach out to them, only if you share your faith with them. In another study, one of the surprising larger groups uh, in, in, that wasn't finding a church home, that wasn't finding a place to worship, it was conservative women in their 50s 
who believe in Jesus already. Over six out of 10 of them already believed in Jesus, but they weren't in a church. They didn't have a church home. And, and you know why they weren't coming? More than 54% of them said they haven't felt welcomed. That's a pretty big percentage. Now, thankfully, that's not something that I find normally here in this church. You guys are pretty welcoming, and, I, and that's a gift that you have that I think God has given you together. But we're not always that way. There are times when we mess up, and we need to be aware of that, and we need to be always focused on receiving people for Jesus. I think there's an opportunity here. Now, I suspect a lot more non-Christians who were not surveyed, but a lot more non-Christians feel that same way. They don't feel welcomed. You know, they feel something that is very uncomfortable to them. Our witness may have taken a beating, but there are opportunities that we have to repair them. There are a lot of places that we can shine, but we have to start right here in our heart. We have to make changes starting here. We have to know Jesus, and we have to know Jesus well in order to share him. That doesn't mean we have to memorize 400 scriptures. It means that we enter into a real relationship with Jesus. And we let him rule in our lives. We surrender our lives to him. You can do that if you're a brand new baby Christian. Or you can do that if you've been 99 years in the faith. It doesn't matter. Surrender your whole self to Jesus. You know, there are a number of things we have to do. We have to stop ignoring his teaching in the Bible and pretending it doesn't exist. Now, we do that all the time. Well, I'll just do this and I'll pretend that isn't in the scriptures, that I shouldn't do that. Or, you know, the other way around, when we should be doing something. We have to stop avoiding gathering together as a church where we can recharge our lights. Um, you know, a decade ago, regular church attendance was three out of four Sundays. You know what the figure is now? One. They call that regular attendance. One Sunday a month. How are you going to recharge from that? Do not avoid the gathering together of the saints. We can't also remain disconnected from the needs of the people around us. We need to identify needs and fill them as best we can. And no, that is not the social gospel. That is being Jesus to people who may never see Jesus in any other way. We can't just keep our faith to ourselves. We have to share our faith as best that we can, starting with our own stories, right? You've got a story to tell. Last week I said that when you worship God with your whole heart and your mind engaged, the people around you can sense it. And they respond by worshiping deeper, right? Well, the same is true of our witness. When you're truly and fully giving your heart to Jesus, the people around you know it. And they are inspired to do the same thing. They see that light shining and they go, man, I want my light to shine like that. It's that image of God thing. When you reach out to somebody else, that light glows even more. And outreach is about going and being, right? There's that great commission to go and to share the gospel. But there's this call to be 
witnesses for Jesus. And those two things work hand in hand. Now you may not have noticed, but I haven't used the word evangelism today. Not even once. For some reason, that word scares people away. When you think about the word, uh, you think about witnessing on the street or on some street corner or, or banging on people's doors or having large crusades like Billy Graham or doing really embarrassing, uncomfortable things for Jesus. But what if witness means something else? What if witness means driving somebody to a doctor's appointment because they don't have transportation? What if a witness means starting a, a small conversation when you run into your lonely neighbor? What if your witness means helping somebody with the food pantry this week? You know? What if it means finding some common ground with somebody at your work and beginning to build a relationship from there? Our witness doesn't have to be huge, but if we are shining that light for Jesus in the middle of any of those kinds of situations, it will be seen wherever you go. First Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Remember that God-shaped vacuum we talked about at the beginning? The whole world is hardwired to look for Jesus. They just might not know it yet. But that hole is there, and it's intended to be filled by God. And it's our job to show them that Jesus is real and that he can transform lives and that we can live an entirely different life and an eternal life after that one. We are called to be witnesses for Jesus. Heavenly Father, we want to be your witnesses. We just don't always know how. But Lord, we realize, we recognize that, that we need to be prepared and we need to share. Lord, prepare my heart. I want to give it to you again this morning. And I ask you to fill it with your Holy Spirit and enable it, empower it to do what you call me to do. Lord, soften my heart towards the people around me who need to see you desperately. Lord, give me a huge burden for the lost and the hurting and the lonely and the poor and the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. If we shine our light, by reflecting you the way you created us to be. Help us to be that light, to be that witness. Empower that witness by your Holy Spirit. We recognize that doesn't come from us. And so even in the moment of sharing, we give that over to you and ask for your power to change. Change us first. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.